This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of the Sentinel Fort in Piss Town, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Hey, subscribers on Patreon, it's that time of the week to get your garbage can nominees in, as well as your honor can nominees. Got some uh, good ones already. Once again, Hillary Clinton has been nominated. We've got the New York Times for how they've covered the uh, fascist coup in Bolivia. Uh, We've got Jim Jordan nominated here, former college wrestling coach, nominated for his sartorial choices. Uh, Let's see, Stephen Miller nominated. So uh, lots of good nominations. Still time for you to uh, get your very own nominee in. Voting begins tomorrow morning to determine who the garbage candidates will be, and then we'll throw someone in the garbage can on tomorrow's show, which will be for subscribers only. Five bucks a month on Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel. Speaking of potential garbage candidates, welcome Deval Patrick to the race, former Massachusetts governor, former Bain Capital executive deval patrick jumping in the democratic primary obviously he's got no chance to win i uh i was optimistic at first when he jumped in because it it seemed like a sign of desperation and the fact that that the center does not really have a strong candidate i think this should also uh maybe tamp down some of the theories that Elizabeth Warren is a centrist cipher. I know she has her problematic elements, but I think if she truly was a centrist cipher, Deval Patrick would not be getting into the race at this stage. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I mean, she certainly has said a lot of stupid things. Of course. Especially recently. But uh, those of us on the left can clearly see differences between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. But I can assure you that the billionaire class does not see differences between the two and are filling up their diapers at the prospect of either one of them being president. And I, in fact, argue, and I I won't tweet this, even though it's probably true, that at this moment, the billionaire class probably fears Warren more than Sanders simply because they can't fathom Sanders winning the presidency. Like it hasn't like it's antithetical to a U.S. political system that's done nothing but cater to them their entire lives to then elect someone like Bernie Sanders. So they're sort of just in the, oh, he's not even on my radar. Oh, Bernie, let Bernie do his thing. Crazy Bernie's out there. I mean, talk to your parents. They'll probably say something. Oh, yeah, yeah, Bernie's, you know, but he can't win. Um, I think that's the general thought of the billionaire class. So what they can imagine, what they can imagine is a slightly more effective version of Barack Obama. And I think that's what they see in Elizabeth Warren. And that scares the shit out of them. They should fear Bernie a lot more. They just don't think that Bernie can win the presidency. I mean, hell, a lot of his supporters still aren't sure if he can win the presidency, including myself. Well, hopefully he can, but a lot has to happen between now and then. And you can bet <laughs> that as soon as this billionaire class or establishment, however you want to describe them, really starts to grapple with the fact that Bernie Sanders could win the presidency, like if he became the Democratic nominee, shit's going to really start hitting the fan. Indeed. And I I, I think this is actually uh, uh, Patrick entering the race 
is more an indication that they are preparing for chaos rather uh, uh, rather than filling their diaper and looking for a centrist candidate. Because I think part of the part of the thinking here is that if they just load the race with candidates, they can f- they can more easily force a contested convention. Yeah, I think that's the. I, I don't even think you need any more candidates to force that, but maybe they just want to make sure. <laughs> well, I, maybe they do need more candidates, and maybe they, this is their. Uh, part of a multi-pronged strategy and and Patrick specifically is to deny Warren some of the vote in Massachusetts. Yeah. And maybe if she doesn't pick up enough delegates there and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Because like, why else are dipshits like Michael Bennett still in the race? There's absolutely no reason for this fucker to be in the race except to be a part of this broad centrist strategy where he might do better in Colorado and nowhere else. Yeah, I don't want to discount how much politicians are essentially psychopaths and are in the True. race strictly to stroke yeah. their own ego uh, or to capitalize in the future on name recognition and things like that. So that could explain a lot of the reasons they're in there. But yes, there's certainly a strategy likely pushed by the Democratic Party establishment to flood the primary contest to force a contested convention during which they're going to try as hard as they can to deny the nomination, not just to Bernie Sanders, but also to Elizabeth Warren. This is the clown car strategy. They're trying to pack the car with so many people that it's just a mess, that it never even crosses the finish line, and so that the centrist technocrats can run in, get the stretcher, and carry the most centrist clown over the finish line. Yeah. There is other Massachusetts intrigue to note. This time it's good. It's it's not something that you should be ashamed of if you're from the uh, the Bay State. House Democrat from Massachusetts has denounced the coup in Bolivia. Jim oh, McG- yeah. Jim McGovern tweeted, quote, Evo Morales was illegitimately forced from power by violent protests and the intransigence of hardline opposition leaders damaging Bolivia's democracy. There should be new, free, fair, closely monitored elections where MAS, the uh, movement towards socialism, is fully represented, represented, excuse me, end quote. Uh, that is from Jim McGovern yesterday, late well afternoon. Said. Very well said. Uh, even stronger than Bernie's statement. Yes, Stronger than Bernie's statement, but because he's from Massachusetts, this is a good time to note that Elizabeth Warren has made no statement yet. None. None. Where are you, Senator Warren? Uh, Receiving word that Elizabeth Warren has dispatched big structural Bailey to (laughs) Bolivia (laughs) to figure out what the hell is going on down there. All right, it's Thursday, November 14th, 2019. Here's the news. The State Department Inspector General is out with a new report detailing several suspicious terminations at the department and concluding that at least one of those career endings was politically motivated. The IG reviewed five cases that had been referred alleging improper firings of career officials at state. The watchdog substantiated one of those cases, dismissed two other cases, and claimed it couldn't substantiate two others despite evidence pointing toward illegal dismissals. 
Several of the cases show how influential racist conservative media outlets are in pushing out certain State Department staffers. One of the employees documented in the report is Sahar Nauruzadeh, who had worked at the department since 2012. She was the subject of a 2017 conservative review article titled, quote, Iran deal architect is now running Tehran policy at the State Department, end quote. The article claimed that Nauruzadeh was a trusted Obama aide who had burrowed their way into the Trump State Department. It went on to pressure then-Secretary Rex Tillerson to fire her. The IG found that the article made the rounds among State Department officials. At one point, Newt Gingrich even emailed the article to a political appointee at State. Other emails show officials questioning now Ruzade's place of birth, her loyalty to the country, to the United States, and her allegiance to the prior Obama administration, including claims that she had cried when Obama left office. All of this soon led to now Ruzade's eventual termination from her post at the State Department. As the IG concluded, the department cannot use non-merit-based reasons like political leanings, ties to previous administrations, or place of birth to terminate a career employee. There's an extensive paper trail that that was the case here. Seven State Department officials were named in the report as being involved in the improper firing. The IG recommended better training for all political appointees. Brian Hook is the State Department official who is named in the report who ended Nauruzade's contract improperly. We'll see if Mike Pompeo disciplines him, but... Zero yeah, zero chance. I mean, this Stephen Miller still has a job in this administration, despite the uh, trove of racist emails that were released recently. So not expecting uh, anything there. Uh, two other cases were reviewed by the IG, but the watchdog could not substantiate claims of politically motivated firings. But it did find evidence that both firings came after career employees were singled out by conservative media. Of course. In the same article that had led to the ouster of Nauruzade, another State Department employee was named. They had been at the department since 1990, but were accused of being a prominent Obama official. In their case, the IG uncovered an email from Steve Bannon back when he was working at the White House, pressuring the State Department to do something about the employee. Quote, we are getting tremendous blowback on this guy. Is he permanent? End quote. Bannon wrote. He also wrote R... Yeah. Uh, with just the letter R, yeah. ty- typing like a like a teenager there. Well, a few months later, that employee was fired, though in this case, officials did a better job of not leaving a paper trail detailing invalid reasons for them to be fired so the IG couldn't make a conclusive judgment. The same is true of another State Department employee who had 30 years of experience and was shit-canned shortly into the Trump administration. They, too, were singled out in conservative media. A Breitbart article titled... Top 10 holdover Obama bureaucrats President Trump can fire or remove today featured this employee. In the article, they were criticized as, quote, an active apologist for refugee resettlement. Oh, the horror. Imagine imagine advocating for resettling refugees here in the United States. Anyway, that article, too, made the rounds. That employee was fired shortly after. Again, the IG couldn't conclude that it was politically motivated. The Trump administration claims it has non-racist reasons for cracking down on immigration. They actually hate criminals and human traffickers, they say, not immigrants. That's obviously bullshit. 
Today, we saw another reason why. The Department of Homeland Security proposed new rules making it even harder to claim asylum in the U.S. The agency has already proposed ending asylum applications at the border or inside of the United States itself, something that practically defeats the purpose of asylum laws to begin with, which were established to grant safety to people fleeing danger. The Supreme Court has allowed the policy to stand while it's being challenged in the courts. Now, as noted in today's Federal Register, DHS is looking to bar asylum seekers from legally working in the U.S. until their application is processed. Homeland Security says this proposal is being put forward to combat, quote, frivolous, fraudulent, or otherwise non-meritorious asylum applications. This would be more believable, though, if DHS didn't release another proposal today seeking to establish a $50 fee merely for applying for asylum. They just want to discourage asylum seeking. It's also obvious in another proposal in the work permit rule, DHS wants to stop its own agents from granting what's called affirmative asylum, temporary status, while the full request is being processed. They want to make it as hard for immigrants in this country to come to this country as they possibly can. Another interesting thing to note on the proposed fee for asylum applicants, DHS said they thought it was appropriate in part because other countries do it. They listed three countries in a table, Australia, Fiji, and Iran. Now, I don't want to demonize Iran here. Just if the Trump administration is citing Iran as an example, it kind of reeks of desperation. You should probably be more concerned with the Australia citation, though, since it might be the only Anglophone country more racist than the United States, though England might dispute that. One fun fact, there is a regular cricket match between England and Australia called the Ashes because the winner takes those ashes to do blackface. Well, I'm kidding about the blackface part, but the Ashes is definitely a real cricket game between Australia and England. It it was from some... What's it say that I, like, believed that? (laughs) Well, it comes from some 19th century joke about how cricket is dead and uh, the sport is their ashes will be something, something. I don't know. But you wouldn't be surprised, though, if the winner actually took ashes and did blackface on themselves. Bring in Australia and England together. (laughs) Anything can happen. All right. In Pentagon waste news, the deployment and sustainment of the F-35 jet is still a complete shit show. The Government Accountability Office issued 21 recommendations to the Pentagon regarding major challenges facing the F-35 program, the Department of Defense's most expensive weapons system ever, estimated costs over a trillion dollars. The original plan was to deploy 3,300 F-35s, but so far only 435 U.S. and international F-35s are in operation, and there are a lot of reasons for that. For one, as we've mentioned on the show previously, there's a supply chain problem with F-35 parts. JO found that from May through November of last year, F-35s were unable to fly about 30% of the time, not because of rain, but because of a lack of parts. The report further states that the average time taken to repair an F-35 part was more than six months. That's more than twice as long as planned. As of last November, there was a backlog of about 4,300 spare parts awaiting repair at depots or manufacturers. Apparently, F-35 parts are also breaking more often than the Pentagon expected. Another issue is the flight control system, what's called the Autonomic Logistics Information System, or ALIS. 
JO says of it, quote, ALIS, a key component of the F-35, is intended to provide users the tools to operate and sustain the aircraft. Seems important. However, ALIS's capabilities are immature and require personnel to perform time-consuming manual workarounds. Users also have concerns about its deployability and data accuracy, among other things. GAO reported that one Air Force unit estimated it spent the equivalent of more than 45,000 hours per year performing additional tasks and manual workarounds because ALIS was not functioning as needed. The oversight agency also cited problems with long-term sustainment costs, warning the Pentagon that if it isn't able to reduce sustainment costs for each plane by nearly 50%, then the weapons program will not be able to be managed as initially planned. Well, I think we've already crossed the Rubicon on that one, Chief. The F-35 is not sustainable right now. You know, Lately, I've really enjoyed a lot of the discourse on billionaires and how difficult it is to wrap your head around what a billion dollars is, just how huge that number is. Or that TikTok video of that teen trying to spend Jeff Bezos' billions and she buys like all the NFL teams, like dozens of mansions, 100 sports cars, and Bezos still has billions and billions and billions of dollars left. Like you can't possibly spend it all. It was actually Bill Gates. Oh, it was Bill Gates. Who is slightly less rich than Bezos. Okay. The Pentagon, I say slightly, to be fair. I think it's something like $60 billion. Bezos has $60 billion. The amount that Bezos is more rich than Bill Gates, you still can't spend that much. And yet the Pentagon is out here like, hold my beer. We'll show you how to spend and waste a goddamn trillion dollars. It's incredible. It really does fucking uh, split your gourd thinking about what you would do with F-35 money. Like you, you see those you see those tweets about like if you were paid X amount every hour, you you still wouldn't have a billion dollars if you stretch that time back to when Jesus was walking around. <laughs> like, well, stretch it. How much is a trillion then? <laughs> Finally, it looks like FCC chair. Well, let me be. Let me be me. So let me see. Finally, it looks like FCC chair Ajit Pai is once again trying to do favors for giant companies in a move that could harm millions of people. Bloomberg Law reported earlier this week that cities across the country are suing Pai's agency for a ruling which could deprive local governments of crucial revenue. The ruling came in August. It pertains to federal law that forces cable companies to establish local franchises through local authorities and rules governing how much these authorities can then charge for franchise fees. In a party line vote, the FCC said companies can actually pay these fees with, quote, non-cash in-kind contributions, basically meaning they can donate free airtime to local governments rather than give them money. Just tried to uh, trying to pay for all my crucial services here with free fucking commercial airtime. <laughs> These fee payments amount to some three billion dollars per year, according to Bloomberg, citing cable and internet lobbyists complaining about having to pay them. But this only amounts to about three percent of industry revenue, per the market research firm Ibis World. Maybe these companies should, I don't know, start their own cities and build their own fucking roads if they're sick of paying these meager taxes. According to Pi, the move is needed to help build out the 5G network 
As we noted just two weeks ago, however, the FCC has already tried this. It has already tried to bolster 5G by boosting the profits of telecoms companies. And the U.S. still lags behind countries like China that don't cling to neoliberal fundamentalism. We constantly try this shit. It never works. Unless, of course, you are correctly assuming that Republicans don't actually care about infrastructure. They care about juicing the profits of their donors. Also, many Democrats only care about this, too. I should note. For conservatives, the proposal has the added benefit of undermining the public sector. I suppose for some liberals, that's also the case. University of Virginia professor Christopher Alley told Bloomberg... The rule change being upheld would lead to reduced funding for public broadcasting and cuts to other public services. It also, quote, allows cable companies to call the shots a lot more than they used to in terms of franchising authority. The challenge to the FCC's proposed change is currently before the appellate circuit, mostly the Ninth Circuit on the West Coast. Cases involve some 46 cities, including Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, Chicago, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Baltimore. Well, the jackhammer has kicked up outside the newsroom, and just in time because the newscast is over. Before we go, we've got some haiku to read for our new subscribers over at patreon.com slash district sentinel. This first one goes out to Astro Illogica. What's inside a star? A billion chain reactions kicked off by my takes. Thank you, Astrologica. Astrologica? I think it's Astro-Illogica. Astro-Illogica, excuse me. Sorry. Thank you, Astro-Illogica. Finally, this is for Jason. The Popeye's sandwich. I still have not had it yet. More family shame. I, too, have not had it yet. And I considered myself, until recently, a connoisseur of chicken sandwiches, but... How can I claim that if I've not had the Popeye's chicken sandwich yet? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I will note that I um, I walked by the Popeye's near my house uh, the other week, a few days after the sandwich came back, and there was a line out the door. When will it end? There was a line out the door. What the fuck? I think it was because it was, it was Friday lunchtime, which uh, is an unusually busy, it, it's a peak time for uh, fast food restaurants, but... Yeah, I'd say my love of fast food chicken sandwiches is slightly outweighed by my hatred of large, hungry, angry crowds. I think Monday might be a good time to try it. Maybe. I don't... Or Mondays in general. Maybe not this Monday. Also, uh, when the doors first open at 10 a.m., <laughs> I cannot eat a chicken sandwich at 10. I can eat a chicken biscuit, though. There's feel, a big difference. Uh, okay. Thank you, Jason, for subscribing on Patreon. That's the show. Subscribe so that you can listen to tomorrow's Garbage Can Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash district sentinel. Everyone else, we're back next week. Tuesday, actually. Sam Knight has jury duty on Monday. That's right. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be. 